Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Many I've seen before. Um, Y'all are so blessed to have a pastor like Brother Charlie. Um, I know he would probably not wait and say any of these things, but uh, he's a true spiritual energizer bunny. He just goes and goes and goes. And like so many of us, we realize that we have to work with the time that we've got. Um, I believe some of the things I want to share this morning before I start, because I always forget these, there's a couple things I want to mention about what's back there on the table. I just finished this book called Truth Matters. Now, y'all are going to be the guinea pigs for this book because, as always happens, when I get it back from the press, I see all these typos that I forgot. So there's not a whole lot in there, but there's a few. So just be forewarned. Um, there's a devotional book that I just finished and some other excerpts from previous books, but you'll figure all that out. But there's a, a pamphlet in the back called um, The Occult Nightmare, and it's just simply a short version of my testimony. You know, we're coming up on uh, America's favorite religious holiday, Halloween, and so feel free to take any of those you want. Take one, take 50, doesn't matter. Clear them out, give them out. We need to contend the darkness. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We have to do it with spiritual weapons. So I was thinking this morning, because I want to tell you, first of all, Jesus is coming soon. I believe that with all of my heart. But I believe the waters could get a little bit rough before that happens. He could be, come back today. That would be perfectly okay with me and with most of us. But Jesus said, occupy till I come. So we need to be able to endure what's coming. And as I was uh, praying before the service, uh, I remembered this word in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we have to learn how to tough up and weather these battles that we're going to face. I want to start by reading Ephesians 5, 8 through 16. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever does makes manifest is light. Whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore, he says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And here's the key verse, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeeming is exagorazo. And it means buy up the time. Rescue the time from loss. Because the days are evil. And the word evil is poneros, which means the days are hurtful. These days are calamitous. Like Charlie said, chaos and confusion. These days are, according to this word, diseased. They are grievous. These days are vicious. We cannot deny that these words are speaking directly to us in our culture, in our society, in these generations, right now. 
We are in a time of chaos and confusion. We're in a time of truth-bending. And unfortunately, a lot of the American evangelical churches are responsible for this, bending the truth, compromising the truth, discarding the truth, and worse than that, upending the truth, where we've come to a point where right is wrong and wrong is right. Whatever the Bible says is wrong. Whatever the culture says is what we need to obey. That's the day and age that we're living in. How bad is it getting? It's getting so bad that a group of quote-unquote ministers up in the uh, northern part of the country prayed to, over an abortion clinic that God would bless the work of the abortionists and bless the abortion clinic. How bad is it getting? I, I couldn't believe this when I saw it. Union Theological Seminary had a cer- ceremony, a service, where they con- had a confession to plants ceremony. I'm like, have you all lost your minds? You're confessing to plants? You know, I don't even talk to my plants. I used to, but, you know, they all kind of died on me, so we don't communicate anymore. But I'm not going to confess to the plant. I mean, it's just total paganism creeping into, you know, every area of our society, even the, you know, spiritual seminaries or whatever. We saw that coming for a long time, but here we are. This is a product of what Isaiah 59, 14 says, truth has fallen in the streets. And it's so important, folks, that we stand on truth no matter what the cost that may come as a result. So I want to talk a little more about spiritual preparation. How do we stay strong and steady in this hour? You know, they're worldly preppers. I don't have anything against preppers. I got a whole garage full of water just in case. You know, got a year, not a year, but six months worth of food, whatever. I think that's good. I think that's, that's okay to do that. But you can get extreme. I remember, remember the big uh, Y2K disaster when they thought all the computers were going to go south. I have friends that spent their life fortunes, you know, just buying stuff and building places and then nothing happened. Everything could stop tomorrow. We could be on for a few years, but I'm more concerned about us being Jesus preppers and how to prepare for the days ahead. So first of all, Romans 13.2 says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now it's interesting because it could almost seem like a contradiction. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. And I think of that verse a lot. The night's coming. We got to get busy. We got to do what God's told us to do. So it's not a contradiction because for the world, the night is coming. And we have to finish the work he gave us to do before his return. But for us, the night is almost over. And the day is about to break. That is the most amazing thing. See, this world, we are strangers. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. We're here to walk with Jesus and represent him and do a job. But this isn't our home. This is just a little blip in eternity. So the night's almost over for believers. And the day's about to dawn when Jesus returns and takes us to be with him. And uh, I look forward to that day. So we need to get rid of the dark things, according to this verse, to cast off the works of darkness. Put on your armor of light to defy the darkness. Let your light shine, Jesus said. Let it shine in a world of darkness. Secondly, we need to try, and I'm always preaching to the choir here, and I tell people a lot, this church is amazing, y'all are amazing. Um, you know, I could brag about y'all a lot, but it's the most solid, steady thing I've seen in years. 
by God's grace, just steady on. And I'm so grateful for that in a world of compromise. So when I'm preaching to the choir when I'm saying these things, but a lot of evangelical churches have gotten to a place where I just need to say this, we need to stop trying to look like and act like the world, trying to reach the world. It doesn't work. We need to be who Jesus made us to be. One of the principles of this book I've got out there, the new one's called Truth Matters. One of my favorite truths that I learned is be who you is. Because if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't. As believers, be who God made you to be. Don't try to dress things up so they look, but don't dress up the gospel so it's more attractive to people. Tell the plain truth, and it will attract those that God is calling, that the Holy Spirit is calling. So we need to stop trying to look and act like the world. Romans 2, 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorpho. Your mind is supposed to be like that caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. It's supposed to be... God's word needs to change the way we think. And the more word you get, the more your mind is going to be transformed into the way God means it to be. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be molded according to the world. Think like Jesus thinks. Think like his word says. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Three, we need to focus and get rid of distractions. Now, focus is hard for some of us. Um, you know, I struggle a little bit with ADHD, and it, is, it can sometimes be very difficult. I have not one organizational bone in my body. The fact that I was able to get all this stuff out here this morning on the book table is a little bit of a miracle. Uh, I noticed this weekend I had, I don't like to call it ADHD. I like to call it the ability to multitask on many levels. I found myself this weekend going, I need to finish this. Oh, wait a minute, I got this over here, and so I spend... Things eventually get done. The good benefit to it is I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, but because of that, even the devil can't figure out what I'm going to do next. So that's going to be a good thing. But it can be hard to focus, but it's a time when we need to be able to focus on what really matters uh, and get rid of the distractions in our life that keep us from being the people of God he needs us to be. We need to do a couple things to get rid of those distractions to focus. One is to avoid meaningless and fruitless debates. Um, you know, those of us who have been to Bible school know that it was a favorite sport to de- debate little issues. You know, do you have to speak in tongues and feel the Holy Spirit? Jesus coming back middle the end of the, 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 the beginning of tribulation. I mean, those things are important. Doctrine is extremely important. But there are, and there are some things that I would not budge one little inch on. But frankly, I still don't know how many angels fit on the head of a pin. I think I figured it out to be 900,540,000, but that may be a little bit off. But you know what I'm saying? And right now there's a, and I'm just going to say it because I need to say this. There is a huge thing going on in the church. Calvinists versus Armenians, and they are slaughtering each other all over the place. And I got to tell you, I have my own certain thoughts on it, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what they are, because I don't want to get into that debate. But I do want to tell you this. It wastes a lot of time, because the church has not settled the issue for 2,000 years. In the meantime, the devil's out there taking this generation away while we're debating non-issues. 
Doctrine's important, but it's not worth slaughtering each other over and getting so distracted that all we care about is, I'm right, you're wrong. We can't do that. I don't want that misinterpreted. Doctrine is extremely important. And you better know what you believe according to the Word of God. There are some things that are absolutely unchangeable, and you need to settle them. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is God the Son. The Bible is the infallible Word of God. You hear it here every week, several times a week. You know what you need to believe. But try and stay out of the traps that are going to make you at enmity with other believers over things that really don't matter. And you need to ask yourself, is this really a deal breaker in my fellowship with this person? Very, very important. So we need to avoid meaningless and fruitless debates. We need to evaluate our addiction and time loss in social media. You know, guilty as charged. I thought something yesterday. I was listening to a news report as I was driving, and it seemed to be a very important thing that was saying, said, and I got to a certain zone, those of you that have Sprint know what I'm talking about, where everything stops working, you know, just for no reason. And all of a sudden, I couldn't hear this very important news report. Two things happened. First of all, I survived. I didn't hear it. I spent most of Saturday not even listening to the news. It was awesome. Because God's not moved by the news. And we need to be careful that we're not rattled by it either. We need to stay steady and calm in the midst of all this. But the other thing that happened, I thought, what would happen if we were just driving along and all of a sudden the government decided to block everything? Block anything dealing with Jesus. Block anything in the news that we needed to hear. What if they just cut out everything that was important for believers? What would we do? How would we survive? I try to talk to a lot of young pastors and young leaders and say, look, social media is good. Use it. I use it. But don't depend on it as the only way that you can get the message out or when the time comes and they pull the plug. Oh, that'll never happen here. Don't be so sure. I'm so alarmed by what I'm seeing in China right now. You know, 10 years ago, large churches, how, how disturbing to see a megachurch in China 15, 10 years ago, thousands of people going. Now it's a dark building and the pastor's been kept for a year and a half. And who knows what's happening to him in prison? It can happen. So we need to be sure that in our social media dealings that we're not totally dependent on it. Because I fear that if we didn't have access to it, a lot of people would be very unable to function. And we need to be not dependent on that. We depend on Jesus, not on social things. So our time here is very limited. So we need to evaluate our addiction to social, and time loss on social media, video games, sports, ouch, and yeah, it got really quiet. And binge-watching network uh, Netflix. Ouch. Pastor Charlie, why did you invite that guy to church? Our time here is so limited. I would urge you to do an honest evaluation for one week. Keep track of how much time you spend on the Word and prayer and kingdom labor and how much time you spend on entertainment. I'm just asking you to go before God and do that. I'm going to do that myself because I know I need to be accountable for everything that I'm telling you this morning. All that matters, said uh, Amy Carmichael, is that which is eternal. And one of my favorite expressions is only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Fourth thing we need to do 
but we need to cut out the fat and invest in what has eternal value. After that, we need to run with patience. Hebrews 12.1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. This is not an easy race. It never has been. I know we've talked about this before, Pastor Charlie, but when we were first Christians, it was like, come to Jesus and it'll be puppies and flowers and, you know, everything. God's going to take away all your problems. And it's like, wow, nobody told me this was going to be sign on the dotted line, son. You're going to war. But that's, that is the Christian life. So the race is not an easy one, but it's absolutely doable. But it's the only one. There is nothing else in all eternity except this race for Jesus Christ. So we have to endure. We have to persevere. You don't quit. Well, I'm not a very good Christian. I fall down on my face. Well, that's all right. Fall down, get up. Fall down, get up. Just fall towards Calvary. That's what matters. Because the only thing that is defeat is if you quit and you don't get back up. You know, there's a lot of imperfect Christians that are doing amazing things for Jesus. I'm trying to do amazing things for Jesus. I'm definitely an imperfect Christian, but I fall down. I get up, you get up, you get up, and you get going. Right now, I believe we're in a time where it's all hands on deck. We need everybody out there on the front lines so that we can get out there. Ask God in these days, number five, for tenacity. Tenacity is the ability to just stay with something and nothing's going to get you to stop doing what you're doing. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, there's actually two of David's mighty men that are talked about in the scriptures. One of them, that he had a little field of lentils. Lentils are kind of a worthless bean. You know, it's like the one you don't really want to have on your shelf. It's okay, but it's cheap, and it makes a nice soup once a year, but that's about it. You know, I'd rather have, you know, kidney bean soup or something like that. Anyway, lentils weren't, you know, but, but here's this guy. He's one of David's mighty men, and they're fighting against the Philistines, and it said that this guy fought a whole band of Philistines, and he was not going to give up that piece of territory. He was not going to give up that worthless little field of lentils. Why? Because God gave it to him. That was God's inheritance to him. Some of you say, I'm not doing great things for Jesus. Yeah, you are. You're holding on to the territory that God gave you. Satan comes along and says, I want that. And a lot of people say, okay, don't you move. Be tenacious. Fight off the enemy. Say, this may not look like much, but God gave me this. God gave me this. He gave me my family. He gave me my friends. I'm a fight for every bit of territory. That's called tenacity. The other guy, the mighty man of God, said that he fought for so long that the sword clave to his hands. It, it, stuck, it was stuck in his hands. That's how hard he fought. I, I want to be that guy, Jesus. I want to leave this life swinging a sword so the angel has to take it out of my hands and say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay now. It's okay to stop. Tenacity. That's what we need in believers in this hour. So we run with patience in this race and we persevere. We need boldness in this hour probably more than we ever have. We don't need to be shy. When you're talking to people about Jesus, you need to just do away with this fuzzy language. You know, I'd like to talk to you about God. I don't want to offend you, but... You know, I talked about God, whatever you conceive him to be, you know, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but, you know, I know this is my truth. It may not be your truth. You know, we need to just stop. 
nobody. Paul says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? And if the sound is unclear, it's not going to help anybody. You need to be clear concerning the truth. That's the fight. This is a truth fight. Many Christians and churches are beginning to bow the knee to the world's demands for conformity to things that God clearly speaks against. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm not getting into the political thing, but I'm just going to say this. When you hear a politi- certain political candidate now saying that they are coming for any church or any synagogue or any nonprofit organization that does not go along with the alphabet soup gender twisting agenda, they're coming after us to shut us down. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I saw this coming a long time ago. That's going to be the thing that's going to, they're really going to lobby. And uh, so we need to just realize that's going to happen. Um, that they want to take away our tax exempt and all that. So let's move on from there because I believe many churches will and believers will and already have bowed the knee. I hear it all the time. They suddenly change their mind. And well, maybe that's not what the scripture said about this issue. The scriptures say what it means. It means what it says. People bow the knee because they fear the agenda of the world. They fear opposing nations and religions that persecute believers, such as China. They fear those things, but we must not bow the knee. We'll lose our tax-exempt status. So what? It's a nice thing, but if it goes away... Are you going to stop coming to church because you don't get a tax write-off? I don't think any of you folks will. But I think a lot of churches are going to shrink because it's like, well, I can't get a tax write-off. So what? It's a nice thing to have, but if they take it away, so what? We continue to stand and be who we are. We don't bow the knee. But if I stand up on these issues, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my friends, I might lose my family. How sad that in the face of more Christians martyred in the last century, then in all history, we are so afraid to take a stand on even these smaller issues. We must not bow the knee. Used to be an old song we sang years ago. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Western evangelicals have turned it into, I surrender some, and I keep the rest for myself. This is not how we win the war. We have to be all in. We have to be all in. Now, Peter, obviously, we like to make fun of Peter because, you know, he always said stupid stuff and got in trouble, and Jesus was always having to rebuke him, but and then he denied Jesus. And what kind of a testimony is that? I love what my pastor down in South Texas says. He says, you know, most games aren't won in the first quarter in football. Determined to be a great fourth quarter Christian. It's not how you play as much as how you finish that matters. And so Peter didn't start out very well. I mean, he ended up with the biggest record for failure that we had in the Scripture to that point of actually denying the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But when he surrendered and when Jesus restored him, he went from being the one that denied Jesus to the one that preached the first gospel message at the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people came to Jesus because he had the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And all of a sudden, he was totally changed into the person God wanted him to be. That's the kind of boldness that we need in this hour. Acts 14, 18, 20, because what do we do when the law starts to say, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't speak against this. You can't oppose that. Acts 14, 18 through 20, 4, 18 through 20 says, So they called them and commanded them, the disciples, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. We should have that Jesus thing inside of us like, I can't help myself. I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. Not a fear, not a holding back, but a boldness that says, I got to talk about what Jesus has done for me. I don't care what people say. Acts 5, 28 through 29, they said, the religious leaders, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? That word is going to be brought on believers in this day. And their answer was, here it is, we ought to obey God rather than man. We cannot bow the knee. We cannot compromise the word of God on anything. You know, Paul, it's amazing, we were reading this in our guys group on Monday night, I think last week or the week before. Paul gave this amazing message of his testimony before, you know, a governor and some other people. And, and, and uh, you know, it was a beautiful testimony. And like everybody else, I want to give up, get up and give a beautiful testimony and have everybody say, that's wonderful, that was great, thank you, Jesus, that's awesome. But what did the people, when they, he gave his testimony, what did they say? They said, away with this man, he does not deserve to live. Wow, that's not a very good reception. But when you speak the truth in darkness, don't expect to get a pat on the back. You may get the opposite reaction. And if you do, that's okay. Jesus said, they hated me, they hate you. Let's stop trying to win a popularity contest in the Western church. Let's walk as Jesus walked. Acts 4, 29 through 31 and this is what they said. It's one of my favorite verses. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders might be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Grant us boldness, Jesus. We need it so much in this hour. Charlie and those that know me know that I am totally invested in reaching this generation for Jesus. This could be our last shot at it. And we have got to pray for this generation. We've got to invest in reaching this generation. I heard something the other day, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I heard something they were talking about. They did a survey and found out that, I don't know, 95% of American youth are unchurched. And my immediate thought was, why are we worried about whether they're churched or not? I know people for years that are 100% churched and not 1% saved. When did we go from talking about saving the lost to reaching the unchurched? I don't care if we're reaching the unchurched and getting them churched. I want them to find redemption at the feet of Jesus at the cross. That's how we reach a generation. How? By taking them from the romper room to the war room 
to training them up to be young women and men of God who are ready to take up the spiritual battle, not with the things of this world, not with the things of this world, but with against the powers and the principalities and the spiritual wickednesses in, in high places. I, I hadn't planned on saying this, but I'm just going to tell you, I just came back from a conference where I saw actual footage of some of the worst satanic groups in this nation who claim to be 501c3 whatever, doing destruction rituals on Christians. And I thought, yeah, there it is. I knew it was happening, but they have spread this all over the country. So while we're trying to spend a half a minute in prayer, if we have time, these people are doing active destruction rituals on the body of Christ. Now, the Bible says a curse without a cause cannot stick, and I'm glad for that. But it doesn't say that you can't get beat up a little bit when those things come at you consistently. That's why we need the whole armor of God every day, because the enemy has set his sights on the church and said, you've got to shut up and I'm going to make it happen. We have to stand up and say, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. The evangelical Western church reminds me sometimes of the, uh, the movie in the, where the king said, I would not risk open war. And the other person said, open war is upon you, whether you wish it or not. That's where we are. So we need to be prepared, not against flesh and blood. We don't fight that war, but we fight with spiritual weapons. And the first one is prayer, word of God, worship. That's how we reach this generation, by giving them those things. There is a, we need to raise this generation up to stand in the darkness the thing I call critical mass. How do you really pray into God reaching a generation? Well, it has to be the Word of God with the power of God absolutely bathed in the love of God. If you can get that invested in your young people, and you, if you can get that invested in you, it's amazing what God can do. And I pray that we will get to that point where we can, we can really do that. So, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, one of the things we need to do is we need to get weird proof out there in the Western Evangelical Church. I meet a lot of church, see a lot of stuff. There is so much weirdness out there that nobody's checking, that nobody's talking about. More and more Christians in some of those circles talking about open heavens and how they're communicating with the council of heaven, those who have gone on, and people say they've been, you know, going out of their body and, and, and healing people, and they've been going up to heaven and talking to Mo. I mean, it's like, just let's stop the necromancy wagon for crying out loud, because that's what that is. That's not from God. I mean, it gets so bad. I mean, when I heard a story told about a big worship service where people say they saw Angels, little baby angels in pink bubbles floating and waving their wings as they went by. When I got through laughing, I, was, I laughed so hard. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with you? You know, I believe in the miracle power of God. I do. But we need to discern more than we ever had because not everything that glitters is gospel. And the Bible is very clear in the last days. There will be lying signs and wonders, and we need to be able to discern the real from the unreal, the lie from the truth. So we need to get weird proof. We need to make sure everything we do and say is strictly according to the word of God. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We need to be delivered, and I want to be very careful how I talk about this. There's a lot of points I could make, but I really just want to say it very tenderly because I've never seen a time when our nation has been bathed in sexual immorality and in perversion 
David Wilkerson, I consider one of the last real prophets of our age, saw it clearly, and God showed him, he said, there was going to be a baptism of filth on this nation. This was in 1973, and he, he shared the verse from Nahum, I will pour upon you abominable filth. That was before the internet. That was before all of the breaking down of all the sexual mores and the alphabet soup agenda and all that. He saw it coming. He warned us. And now here we are on the cusp of it. And it breaks my heart because we need to break through. We need to pray to break through. I was thinking of, and this first thing I want to say is we need to be delivered of every form of sexual immorality. This is not for condemnation. I want to throw out a lifeline here. Revelation 12, 2, pardon me, Revelation 2, 12 to 14 says, but I have a few things against you, Jesus spoke to the church, because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. There's no question that internet pornography is, one, is the plague, especially for men of this age. This is not for condemnation because it's, there are a, a multitude, both old and young, of wounded warriors in this battle who have been shamed and bound by pornography. I don't often recommend things from outside sources, but I came across a series of DVDs called the Conquer series that really tackles the pornography problem, particularly for men just straight on in your face and helps them to overcome that. It is possible to be delivered from that. And we need to pray that God would release our young people from this and release even our older friends from this to be delivered. This is not condemnation. This is the devil knows if he can bind your feet there, you'll be useless in the battle. And at some point, you have to rise up against it and say, I've had enough. I want to fight. I want to be in this war. I don't want to be on the sidelines because the devil's got me under so much condemnation that I can't even function. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for anyone that's struggling with this, Lord, bring your deliverance and forgiveness and healing to them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Repentance and cleansing, Lord God. Now, this is a word to believers only. If you're an unbeliever, you don't need to learn how to not spit, swear, chew, or go with those that do. You need Jesus. I don't care what sins you've committed. I have committed every sin I think possible in my life at one point or another. This isn't about you if you're an unbeliever. If you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is to come to Jesus. But if you're a believer, and I hate that I have to say this, but this is not being taught in most of the churches. So I'm going to say it carefully but clearly. Sex outside of marriage is fornication. It's not condemnation. It's just the truth. Because I hear it being justified all the time. If you're a believer, it's fornication. Paul is very clear about this. If that's you, take some time this morning to repent. Make a commitment to break away from what you're involved in and be restored to the heart and the throne of God. We need... Not to give in to fear in all of this. These are fearful times. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, men's hearts will fail them for fear. We know what that's like here in El Paso now. Our safe little city knows what that's like now. We realize 
that our only safety is at the presence of God and, and with each other in fellowship. God's guarantee is I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. But things happen out there and you all know that. But I think I need to speak to us because it's so easy to watch the news and see what's going on and be in so much fear. And it's like, what are we going to do? And some of us are getting older. It's like, what am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do if that happens? And young people is like, what's going to happen in this? And if this person is struggling, what about me? Listen, God says, do not fear. Faith is the enemy of fear. And fear is the enemy of faith. We need to be delivered from fear in this hour. We should be the most fearless people on the face of the earth. Why? Because our God reigns. And as Charlie said, God is in control. God knows those things have happened. You may be struggling this morning and saying, yeah, but I'm I'm up against so much. God knows that. And God is with you. And he said he would never leave you or forsake you. That's why you can be bold. Is life going to be perfect? No. Is it going to be struggle? Nothing but. Right? Well, I didn't have any problems before as a Christian. I had a pretty good life. Well, yeah, dead fish float downstream. That's the way it works. When you come to Jesus, it's struggle. Because that's how we become what we're supposed to be. That's what conforms us into the image of Christ. Don't run from it. Embrace those things, knowing that they're creating the character of Jesus in us. So we should not fear Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2.10. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. That's a very interesting word. My mom used to say, son, 90% of the things you're afraid of are never going to happen. And she was right. But we sure spend a lot of energy being afraid of things that haven't happened, may happen, may never happen. I know right now, right now, this moment, I refuse to give in to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but it's okay. Jesus said, sufficient today was the trouble thereof. Don't take any thought for tomorrow. All we have is now, right? That's all we have. So let's not fear. Let's live really what Jesus said is the abundant life. What's the abundant life? I'm alive. I'm here. I have Jesus in my heart. I have people who love me. I have people that I love. I'm going to invest in that. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow because ultimately I am indestructible till God's through with me, so I'm not going to live in that kind of fear of what if. You drive yourself crazy doing that. Right here, right now, Embrace the life that Jesus Christ has given you. We are already eternal creatures. Jesus said we've already passed from death to life. We're already there. When we leave this earth suit behind, we're just going to get a better body. You know, we're looking forward to that. You know, when I wake up in the morning and now I'm a box of Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, pop. I'm looking forward to that. But I'm already eternal. I'm already there because Jesus already gave me eternal life. So God does not want us to fear. He said to Smyrna, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. that You may be tested. You'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Jesus always has the last word. Just hang in there because at the end of this, it's going to be glory beyond what you could possible, possibly even think. Paul said, I don't even think that things of this world are worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I'm not worried. Paul did not worry because he knew what was coming. How do we not fear? One of the things is, and if you've ever seen the movie Hiding Place, 
awesome. You know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you can still rent it. The new version, I don't know, I haven't seen it, but the old one was just amazing and important to see because it was about Christian people going through persecution for hiding the Jews. It will happen here if Jesus doesn't return first. So we need to be prepared. And when Corrie ten Boom was going through that, you see it in the movie, her thought processes, while she was at the concentration camp, and she asked her father when she was a little girl, Papa, you know, something about something was going to happen. And, and, and her father said, Corey, when we get on the train, when do I give you your ticket? Well, when we get on the train. I don't give it to you before then because you don't need it. You don't need grace for two years from now. You don't need grace for tomorrow. God gives you grace for now. Do you have grace this morning for now? Do you have grace for now? Then I promise you when tomorrow comes, you'll have grace for then, no matter what happens. That's how we cannot fear. Secondly, we need to stay in the love of God. Just stay in the love of God. Scriptures say perfect love casts out all fear. That's why spending time with Him is so important. There are times, folks, and have been times, I don't want to speak too much personally because it tends to distract from the message, but after the loss of both of my parents, uh, 1995 and 1997, I was at a point where I just felt like I had nothing left. I'd already been in a long battle with things out there in ministry. I just felt like there was nothing left. And there were nights when the only thing I could do is grab my Bible and crawl into bed and hug that Bible and say, Jesus, I know that you love me. And that's what got me through. And that's what will get us through because at those moments, I was in fellowship with my Creator. I was in fellowship with the Father. And I realized He loved me so much. And no matter what the circumstances said, I know my Father loves me. And I know He's never going to let me go. And I was able to get through. We need to have that assurance. So we need to stay steady, folks. Stay calm in the storms that are coming. The world doesn't need us to panic like them. The world doesn't need us to just spend most of our time screaming and yelling about political stuff. I know that stuff has a measure of importance, but you know what? This world and all that's in this world is going to fade away. We do what we can. I was talking to a friend earlier, and I feel like God's given us a space to do what we do. But that time is going to run out shortly. When it runs out, we need to be prepared to face the storm. How do we face the storm? I think I shared this last time. You do what the eagles do. Eagles go right into the storm. Isn't that amazing? You know, a bunch of us little chickens are hiding from the storm. Oh, the storm coming. Oh, I'm going to get wet. The eagles go, oh, storm coming. And they fly right into it because when they hit those storms, they hit the thermals and they go up and they go up and they go up. That's what God wants us to be like. I know I've told this story again too, but I think it bears repeating. The ship captain who was way out in the middle of nowhere with a full complement of people on his ship and a crew when they heard about the blowing up of the island of Krakatoa. And they got the message. And they knew, the captain knew he had one or two choices. He could run from it and probably not survive because the tsunami would overcome them. Or he could run right into it and probably not survive. 
But he took that chance, and he put all the passengers down below, and he locked them in, and he faced that tsunami, and he told his, and I love this because this is spoken to my life so deeply, in my calling, he told his men, strap me to the wheel of this ship so that I can't escape, and then go down below. And he faced that alone, that tsunami, totally strapped into his destiny, so to speak. And he went up, and he went up, and he went over, and every single person survived. We've got to be those people in this hour. We need to stay calm, we need to stay steady, and we need to be willing to help the world. When things are happening, we need to be in the midst of trouble, not running from it. We need to be there, willing to tell them about Jesus and help them and bandage them and pray for them. That is our calling. It's our commission. There's going to be rough waters before Jesus comes back. I believe that. Unless he comes tomorrow, which is great. Afternoon's good for me, too. God wants us to be encouraged in this hour, not, not discouraged. He is in charge. He wants us to be comforted in this hour. He knows our hurts. He knows our struggles. He's not going to let us go. He wants us to be challenged in this hour. God wants to say, it's time to get up. It's time to get up and get moving. There's a whole world needs to hear about me. And I'm not letting you off the hook because you're my son. You're my daughter. And I gave you this commission. So we're challenged. And he will equip us for everything we need. I don't have to have equipment for my battles tomorrow because I'm carrying them, first of all. But when I get there tomorrow, I'll have my equipment that I need if I need extra. He will give me that. So we need to be steady in the storm. We need to be faithful in the fires. We need to be joyful in tribulation, right? Nobody likes to suffer, but at those times you have to say, thank you, God, that I am counted worthy to walk like Jesus did. Thank you. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's hard. But if you're putting me through this, it's be, or allowing this to come to me, it's because you're going to do something with this. It says God is at work in all things produce good, even the tough things, even the things we don't understand. There's a something I remember Amy Carmichael said, because let me do this and then I'll finish with that. So we, bet, we want to be ready to be a rock and a lighthouse to the lost and the hurting in the coming days and coming flood, and we need to look up and rejoice because our redemption is drawing near. Now listen, as, as I close, there's a lot of us who are suffering in silence. There's a lot of us who are in a lot of pain for a lot of reasons, and sometimes we're afraid to tell people because like, I don't want to seem like I'm weak. I don't want to seem like I'm not a very strong Listen, we all suffer in one way or the other, some more than others, and there are going to come times, folks, when you're going to face circumstances and you're going to look at God and say, I don't understand. I really don't understand. But don't leave it there. The great missionary Amy Carmichael said, the end will explain all things. And she explained it's like our lives are this beautiful tapestry, but on the underside, it looks like a mess if you've ever seen a rug or a tapestry. It's just chaos. Sometimes you look at your life and say, I don't get this. 
But one day when we get to be before the throne of God, God's turn over the tapestry of your life and show you this beautiful thing that he was able to do because you stuck with it. Because, yes, we have times all of us will say, I don't understand. But take those four words. Take that next step. I don't understand, but I trust you. And you'll be that indestructible believer.